ladies and gentlemen, this is David opposing the Matrix again tonight. Um, it is 11.56 p.m. on the 16th of November, and uh, I'm just going to catalog this as being on the 17th of November, since it's only four minutes and the show will be over in on the 17th of November. Um, I, uh, oh boy. I feel like I'm going to open up a hornet's nest here, but you know, it's something that needs to be addressed. Uh, these things need to be addressed because, uh, I have many times been asked the question, what's wrong with Jews? Why won't they accept Jesus as the Messiah? Well, there are a number of reasons for that, and we'll go into that tonight, but, uh, or this morning, I should say, um, Yes, there are a number of reasons, and one of it, uh, one of them, you know, right off the bat, is if you've ever had anything, anybody try to shove something down your throat that you don't necessarily believe in, you tend to move farther away from it and teach the ones you love to watch out for it and move farther away from it too. Um, and you got to admit that a lot of times when, uh, well. We got to look at the Protestant Reformation, and that it's it's a fairly new thing. Um, even though it was it happened in uh, the uh, 16th century, it's it, there were a lot of years before that where um, where the the Jewish Church in Jerusalem and around around the uh, Roman world kind of uh, waned, while the uh, the Gentile Church grew. And uh, the, the Jewish church was always under a lot of persecution uh, because the, the Jews were looked at by the um, the Orthodox and the regular Jew back then as being um, Meshumeds, which means traitors. Um, not through any fault of their own. It's just that uh, there, there was entrenched at that time a um, very uh, quasi-religious... Uh, form of uh, tradition worship within Judaism where the oral law had uh, had superseded or um, varnished over shall we say the uh, the uh, the Torah the five books of Moses specifically Leviticus numbers and Deuteronomy or De- Leviticus Deuteronomy if we really want to get down to brass tacks um, so um, and we see it all the time. Uh, Jesus, uh, Yeshua had to deal with it all the time. And, um, he would always say things like your law says, well, wait a minute. Now, if Yeshua is the one that was on the mountaintop with, with Moshe and he wrote the law, then he should say the law says, but several times in scripture, he says, your law says, and, um, it's obvious that it was uh, a dispersion, an allusion, alluding to the fact that these people had um, had taken the Torah and uh, kind of made it into a man-made document rather than the law of God. Um, actually, we can see that. Let's see. Where is that? Okay. I think this is where I wanted to go. Yeah, Matthew 15. I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's very important that when you look at scripture, you need to read 
not just the scripture you're looking for, but the text above it and the text below it. And you better darn well make sure that you make that what you're looking at has something else somewhere else in scripture to back it up because scripture backs up scripture. Okay. Um, so in this account, uh, uh, the Pharisees approached uh, Yeshua and uh, it says in uh, Matthew 15, one, then came Yeshua or Jesus. I'll just read it like it says it in the King James version. Um, then came uh, Jesus, then came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Okay, see right there, the tradition of the elders. They're not saying the Torah. They're saying, Why do they transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? See, and he's throwing the Torah back at them. Why do you transgress the commandment of God with by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, uh, and honor not his father and mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Being a little prideful there they were, you know. Um, and then it continues, ye hypocrites, well did Esaias, or Isaiah, uh, prophecy of you saying, these people draw nigh to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. In other words, they were doing it in vain. It was of no effect because it was their own. Anyway, and he called the multitude and said unto them, "Hear and understand." So he's talking to a whole group of people right in front of the scribes and Pharisees. Um, Something that, you know, if you were to do this today um, to uh, like calling out Benny Hinn or something like that, you would be called not being a good Christian because you weren't doing it in love. Well, you know, if Yeshua can do something like this and we're supposed to be like him, then I don't see any problem with it anyway. Um, and he called to the multitude and said to them, hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth to file a man. But that which cometh out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then came the disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? <laughs> I can only imagine what Yeshua was saying at that moment or thinking. But he answered and said to them, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. Let them be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into a ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare to us this parable. And Jesus says, Are you not also, are you also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand what whatsoever entereth into a mouth goes into the belly and is cast out into the draw? In other words, it goes to the digestive system and comes out the other end. 
Uh, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and defile the man. For out of the heart, and for all you people that I always hear this now, oh, you've got to follow your heart. You, you know, follow your heart. It's good for you to follow your heart. Well, here, here's a contradictory statement by the master of the universe himself. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, and blasphemies. And a lot of you are probably going, yeah, but Jesus is in my heart, so I don't do that. Well, well, basically you just did because you lied. <laughs> because you do do things that you shouldn't do. I do too. Um, the things that come out of my mouth. Um, so the heart's not something that we are to... Um, Definitely, uh, we're definitely not supposed to um, use it as, a, oh, it was in my heart, so I did it kind of scenario. Because most of the time, your heart will lead you down the wrong path, even if your shoe is living in, inside of you. Um, we have such a thing as free will, even though he's inside of us living. And um, anyway, and then he continues on. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defiles not a man. And uh, let's see. I think that's where we'll stop there because then it talks about the uh, the woman that he cast the devils out of and stuff like that. And that's not pertinent to what we're talking about. Okay. So we saw that Yeshua, or Jesus, Jesus had problems with the scribes and Pharisees. They were living under religious tradition. It was kind of a varnished over. Um, it, it was taking the raw material of the Torah and varnishing it with the um, with the varnish of uh, oral tradition or the oral the tradition of men. Um, I think that reading um, reading the Torah, one can easily understand its thoughts and intentions or God's thoughts and intentions. And we don't need to add or subtract from it. And that's what the Pharisees had done. And by this time in history, the Pharisees had really, um, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the um, the scribes had really um, varnished over a lot. And I don't know if you've ever varnished anything, but usually when you varnish, you, you put a coat on, you wait for it to dry, then you put another coat on and wait for it to dry. And um, if you live in a... a an environment where it's it's damp and, and it rains and everything like that, uh, you'll notice that um, after you put the varnish on, if um, if it rains or gets damp, like let's say you know it turns into nighttime and the nighttime gets very humid, um, you wake up in the morning and there's a cloud to that varnish and you really can't see the wood that well because of that cloud. And that's a good illustration of how varnishing over the Torah with oral tradition is. Um, so anyway, so th that's that's where we stood with Jesus or Yeshua at that time. But understand that that oral tradition had started way before him and had carried on um, and has carried on ever since, actually. And there are mounds and mounds and piles of books called the the, uh, the Talmud and um, there's the Mishnah and there's... Um, uh, almost as many works as there are church father um, books that are out there um, that or um, expositories of uh, different people like um, you can um, 
get a full set of John MacArthur's commentaries. And nothing bad about John MacArthur. I mean, we we differ in some areas, but those books are his thoughts of what his interpretation of Scripture is. Okay? That's a commentary, and so are the, the Jewish books. They're commentaries. Okay? So you can't blame the Jews for reading commentaries when you go out and read the works of John MacArthur or, or whatever commentator you want to pick. Okay. Um, the, the Bible, the Bible, the, the Lord Yeshua, he gave us the Holy Spirit to explain scripture to us. And all we have to do is before we pick up that book, before we pick up the Holy Bible is ask for God to give us the understanding to, to be able to know what he's trying to tell us in each and everything that we read. And, God, who is faithful and trust, Yahweh, will be faithful and, and true to help us to understand what he's trying to tell us. And, you know, one scripture can have a meaning one day because you're in a certain place in your life. And it can have a, a different meaning another day. It doesn't mean that the scripture's changed or or that it's wrong in one aspect or another. It's just that God is it's a living word. And. Yahweh is able to use the living word in order to uh, talk to us in different areas, phases, uh, eras in our life. Um, and I think it's it's wonderful that <laughs> scripture can be used for that that way and in that way. Um, so, uh, so we hear about, uh, well, I've heard all my life. <laughs> Um, you know, well, how can you be Jewish and be Christian at the same time? Well, the first Jews were, or the first Christians were Jews. Um, the, the 12 apostles, the, uh, the church in Jerusalem, which was the first church, basically. Um, there were Jews all over the Roman Empire that came to faith in Yeshua. Okay. Um, so it is possible. And let's not forget that that's where it started. <laughs> Okay, it's only later on that the Gentiles were brought into the church. And a matter of fact, back then, there was a big argument, should the Gentiles be let in? And should the Gentiles take on Judaism before they are allowed to become uh, believers in, in Yeshua? And, you know, there's there's some credence to that because, you know, it's um, you always hear people say, you know, well, I got saved. Well, what did you get saved from? Well, I don't know. Jesus saved me, you know. Well, that's that's all well and fine, and I'm hallelujah, you're saved and everything, but what are you saved from? If you don't know what you're saved from, how do you know you're saved? Um, except for the promises that are, you know, you can read it in Scripture. But uh, there are people um, like myself and others that were drug abusers when we were younger, and um, there are people that were um, murderers when they were younger, and um, and they get saved, and and they get saved from lifestyles that they can they can demonstrate quite readily. Um, there are other people that are born into born into uh, supposedly into Christianity. That's impossible, but you do find people that uh, say that. You find like the Armenians say that they're a Christian nation. Well, that's all well and good, but you know there are some criteria to becoming a Christian. You're, just, you're not born into it. Um, you can be born into Islam. You can be born into Catholicism, basically. Uh, but Steve, even with Catholicism, you have a, a rite of passage where you have to get confirmed and take your first communion and everything else. You have to learn. Um, but um, 
so you know you could be born into a what people might call a holy family or a family that knows God, but you have to know him personally. Your family has nothing to do with it. On the day of judgment, you're not going to be standing with your family. You're going to be standing alone in front of Yeshua. And if you're a believer, he's going to he's going to give you rewards for what you did on earth. Or and some people will get more rewards than others. Uh, that doesn't matter to me as long as I make it there. And I'm going to. I have no doubt about it. But um, anyway, so um, now back in, in Yeshua's time, there were like uh, it says there are three um, three sets of um, traditional people. There were the scribes. Those were the people that basically, well, they were scribes. They um, Torahs didn't last forever. Uh, I should say um, um, Tanakhs didn't last forever because the Tanakh is the entire Old Testament. Um, so there, there came a time when a Tanakh got old and it had to be transcribed uh, word for word. And and the standards were so rigid that if um, if one word was spelled wrong, if one jot or tittle was missed, then the whole thing was thrown away and they had to start all over again. That's how rigid they were about uh, uh, the scribes were about um, getting it right. And um, so it, a lot of times it took a long time to to reproduce a, a Torah or a um, or a the Tanakh as it is as we have it today. Actually, it was a lot larger than what we have today. But um, we have the 66 books uh, that um, are the are important that are canon according to some church um, officials. I think that uh, there are other books that are equally as uh, important, like Jared and uh, or Jasher, excuse me, and um, and First Enoch and and uh, the Book of Jubilees and the uh, Twelve Patriarchs and stuff like that. All of those things add um, add to the recipe of what God presents to us and wants us to know. So, excuse me. I am going to take a shot of this coffee before it gets cold. You know me and my coffee. I talk about it all the time. Hold on. Okay, that'll be enough go juice to keep me going until the end of the show, and then I go to bed. Um, so, so we know that uh, the Jewish, the Jews of, uh, or especially the religious Jews of the time of Yeshua. Before that time, during his time, and up until today, uh, we know them now as being like the Hasidim and um, the ultra orthodox um, and things like that. You see them walking around in Israel and in Jewish neighborhoods with uh, their black garb on and their hats and their dreadlocks um, and uh, the phylacteries that they wear on their arms on um, Shabbat evenings um, and in morning prayer. And um, uh, the phylactery they, they wear between their eyelids um, during prayer in the morning. And um, that's all tradition. Uh, you know, it, it, believe me or not, that comes from, um, that comes from the Shema. It's the basic statement of Judaism. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You know, that's that's a Shema, and it goes on um, a little further than that. But um, 
but they take that literally because it says that you're supposed to wear them um, on your on your uh, right hand and um, between your the eyelets, the frontlets of your eye, and uh, that's taken literally and it's and it's practiced literally um, and it's tradition. I don't. I think that that Yahweh was talking about something other than that when he was talking about that, but no, I'm not so sure that the Jews of, of um, that David in the time of Solomon, the Levites and the Cohens had done things like that. Um, but um, today it's done. And um, yeah, there are those uh, even in Messianic circles that argue that that's not necessary. And if that's your flavor, then that's fine. But, you know, it's it's not up to me to to dictate what tradition says. Okay. Uh, you want to follow tradition, that's fine. Um, the same is with, with Christians selling, celebrating Christmas. Um, the early Christians, when they first came to the United States, the pilgrims, they didn't celebrate Christmas. They saw it as being a, a pagan holiday because it fell on Saturnalia. They know that they knew the whole the history of it. It's a pagan Roman holiday. But the uh, the Catholic Church, which um, the uh, the early uh, the Christians in this country opposed because Catholicism and or should I say the Vatican, because I don't want to cast dispersion on Catholics. There's some good Catholics out there, lots of them. But um, they um, Catholicism had uh, perverted Christianity to quite a degree. And part of that was Christmas. Um, uh, Catholicism has a. Um, a habit of when they evangelize an area, uh, not going in and saying, okay, this is right, this is wrong. They, they go in and they accept the customs of some of the people that they evangelize and water down the Christian religion. Um, that's why you can go to South America and, um, and I don't know why it is, but you know, you'll see people that are walking upstairs on their knees and they walk on their knees all the way till they get to the altar in the church. Or, or Christians that practice pagan customs um, down in Peru and Chile and and uh, even in Mexico, the, the very worship of uh, Mary is a good example of that. Um, so, you know, there there are a lot of traditions that the early Christians that came to this country didn't want to practice. One of them was uh, Saturnalia or or Christmas, and and it's quite evident that the uh, the the shepherds do not tend their flocks in December. In December, it's too cold to tend your flocks. They, the flocks are usually um, kept in um, sheep folds at that time of year because it's it would really be inhumane to send the sheep out into that uh, the, the cold winter because it does get cold in Israel. It's a temperate climate. Um, as much as you want to think it's a desert climate, um, it... Um, it's much like uh, Nevada is in the uh, in the winter time. It snows from time to time, and uh, it's cold a lot. <laughs> um, so anyway, so there's a tradition that uh, is not biblical, and but it's celebrated by millions of Christians worldwide. Um, my take on that is, hey, if you want to do that, that's between you and God. And if, if it's not right, you'll answer to him someday. That's all there is to it. But and then, um, and then the Jews see Christians celebrating Easter, which is a God that the that the uh, that the um, backslidden Jews at the time had um, had served, uh, aside from Baal and 
and Murdoch and, and other gods that the, the uh, Gentile people of the lands had, had worshipped. Uh, one of them was um, Ashtar. You read all the time about uh, how the Israelis, or excuse me, the Israelites, um, set up the Ashtaroth, um, the worship poles, and they were basically phallic symbols um, all over the country and even brought that stuff into the, into the temple. And uh, so Easter is just um, an English word for Ashtar, um, which is from the, the biblical Ashtaroth. And um, it has, well, it's, it's a long story, but it supposedly um, there was a, what was his name? Semiramis was married to, I uh, can't remember his name right now. And they had a child and um, supposedly, oh, the child arrived. Um, a rabbit had, had laid an egg and the child was in the egg and, and everything else. And uh, it's, it's a long involved story that I used to know really well, but I don't anymore. But um, and um, it had to do with uh, Nimrod's involved in this, because if you look far, far enough back, Semiramis was married to Nimrod and uh, or is his mother. I can't remember. But <clears throat> um, so and it, and it just so happened that all this transpired right around uh, right around the time that Christians celebrate Easter. OK, so there's another uh, tradition that uh, now if you're if you're a Jew and you're looking at Christians and they're celebrating Astaroth, uh are you going to accept that religion? No, you're not. <laughs> there's no way. Um, and again, you know, it's uh, you might get something out of Easter uh, if it's it has to do with eggs and rabbits and, and everything else. You've really got the wrong idea. It's supposed to be about the resurrection. Um, a lot of Christians correct that and turn it, uh, calling it Resurrection Day. But if you realize that the Hebrew calendar is different than the um, Julian calendar, um, the time of that Passover um, comes at different times of the year. So you just don't celebrate it on a certain Sunday and um, whatever. I don't, I don't even, I haven't followed it in so long that I, you know, I, I, when we celebrate Passover, we celebrate not just the Passover in, in the Exodus. We celebrate the Passover of Yeshua um, dying for our sins and shedding his blood for our sins, just like the angel um, didn't uh, enter the houses of the people who put blood on the uh, the doorpost. But then uh, we celebrate a risen Savior. So, um, oh, excuse me. Um, anyway. So there's there's two reasons right there, you know. Um, so a, a Jew looks at Christians and says, "Okay, so they're they're really celebrating Saturnalia." And there's I'm just saying that not all believe this, but some could. It's an argument. Um, they celebrate Saturnalia and uh, the worship of Astaroth, you know, in, in the guise of um, a risen Savior and the birth of a Savior. Um, so. You know, and there's a valid, valid argument there. You can argue all you want, but it's a valid argument. And um, again, there's there's no nothing in the Bible that says to celebrate the birth date of Jesus. Nothing, nothing whatsoever. And even in, on even on Christmas, there's there's tradition that's wrong because it doesn't say there were three kings. Yet we always hear about the three kings. It brought myrrh, frankincense, and gold. Well, there could have been 30 kings that came from the east. It doesn't say anything about three kings. 
Um, you know, so it's uh, quite dubious. And we know there wasn't a little drummer boy. I mean, it's it's to the point where we hear these songs now, you think that that's scripture, and it's not. Um, you want to say to celebrate the, the birth of uh, Yeshua, why don't we celebrate it, um, you know, in, in um, the end of October, uh, or excuse me, end of September, early October, when the feasts that denote the coming of Messiah actually fulfilled the coming of Messiah. So we could do it then. And um, But no, that, that would make Christianity too Jewish, and we don't want to do that. It's just a shame that there's such a separation. It really is. So um, anyway, moving on. And I'm, I'm going to keep a track of the time here. All right, we're looking at 30 minutes so far. So another reason why maybe your Jewish friend doesn't want to um, celebrate or come to faith in Yeshua is that um, God was very, uh, you know, Elohim or Yahweh was very explicit that in the Old Testament or the Torah that the Jews... Uh, revere the Torah, and um, and that they they obey it, of course. Um, and and God knew that they couldn't obey it, and that's why He set up the sacrificial system and the temple and everything else. But um, there's a you get asked most Christians, and and you get this answer, and you'll say, well, is the law still in effect? Oh no, the law was nailed to the cross with Jesus, and the law is no longer in effect. In other words, just saying the Torah is no longer in effect. Okay. Well, first of all, that's not true. Um, and they'll, they'll take you to where, what Paul talks about the law. You know, the law is, um, the law is dead. You know, well, yeah, there are some laws that aren't followed anymore because we don't need them. We don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. Yeshua is our sacrifice. We don't need kings. We don't need priests because Yeshua has made us all kings and priests, it says right in Scripture. Um, we don't need the sacrificial system because if you come to faith in Yeshua, that sacrifice is covered, right? However, there are many things in the Levitical law that um, we still follow today. You know, a lot of our law systems is, is built on it. You know, um, the law of um, recompense, um, if you... The reason you have to carry insurance on your car is if you wreck somebody else's car, you have to pay to get it fixed. That that notion comes from the Torah. If you were to an, injure somebody else's animal, you bought them a new animal. Or you know, it's 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 so easy. Um, yes, we do, we do, we do not practice capital punishment anymore for adultery and and for, for false prophets, although it would probably be a good idea for false prophets since there's so many of them out there. But that's just my opinion. Um, yeah, it would really, Elijah's list would disappear off the Internet overnight if that ever happened. I don't know if you've ever been to Elijah's list, but uh, you, you could take one subject and there'd be 20 different prophecies that are all different about that subject. And um, sometimes it, I think it would be fun to, to put all those prophets in one room and, and give them one thing to prophecy about. And then just watch them duke it out because you know it would turn to that. Um, and that, that might be the, uh, the flesh talking out in, in my regard. But, um, 
it, it would be the same to uh, put a bunch of people that believe in reincarnation in a room and say, who is Cleopatra in a past life? And watch 30 or 40 hands go up and then them all argue about it for a day or two or until they all took each other out. Um, especially in that religion, because, you know, you, you figure you're doing the other guy a favor by taking him out because he's going to come back as something better, hopefully. Um, and and another thing is some Christians are turning to reincarnation, to, to believing in it, whereas scripture says, nope, you die once and then the judgment. So um, a lot has changed in Christianity over the past 40 years that I've been a Christian. Um, yeah, 41 now, I guess. But um, it used to be we followed scripture. And nowadays, it's, you know, every woman fancy um, that comes along, people tend to uh, go with. Well, anyway, where I was trying to get at here is um, so you're trying to you know witness to your Jewish friend and the, uh, the law is going to come up. OK, well, what about the Torah? And you immediately, many of you will say, well, the law is not in effect anymore. Yeshua nailed it to the cross. Okay, it's dead. The law is dead. And that really worries me because, um, you know, part of the law is the Ten Commandments. That's the law of God. Um, And the Ten Commandments are still valid today. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Um, Nobody believes in God anymore, so the first three are basically just ignored altogether. But uh, don't commit adultery. Um, uh, don't. Uh, one of them is honor thy father and mother, so you can have a long life. Boy, that one doesn't get honored anymore. The mother and father are basically the slave to the kids anymore. Um, so you're, you're you're saying, okay, well, you know, Jesus nailed it to the cross, and the law is dead. The Torah is dead. Well, there's a little scripture that you may not know about. Eh, it's not that one. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Okay. And it's a scripture that, that Jews know very well. Because if there's two books or three books of the Old Testament that Jews get into a lot. Um, well, there's there's more than that. But um, the first one would be Genesis, of course. The second one would be Exodus. Uh, for uh, Leviticus and then Deuteronomy. Because Deuteronomy, I think, is like a a small, uh, like a small synopsis of the Old Testament, especially the Torah. And in chapter 13, interesting that it's in chapter 13. Well, you know, there was no chapter designations in the Torah. So, um, which is another interesting thing to talk about. But anyway, um, Chapter 13, verse 1, it says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and give it the sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder come to pass, let's remember that part. If the sign or wonder come to pass, whereof they spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your all your heart and all of your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments, aka Torah, 
and and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. So when you tell a Jew that he can be saved in the name of Jesus, you know, through the blood of Jesus, and, you know, that, that might be acceptable because Jews recognize that there used to be blood sacrifice and everything and that the, that blood is the propitiation for sin. And then all of a sudden you say, yeah, and, and the law is dead. The Torah is dead. Well, Deuteronomy 13 just erased everything you did because you're telling your Jewish friend or wife or husband or whatever uh, the case may be, but somebody you care about, somebody that you want to be saved, you're telling them, yeah, Jesus um, was a a wonderful prophet. He was the son of God, which is another con- point of contention that a lot of Jews can overcome because if they read Isaiah 53 anyway, um, and, and especially um, there's another verse um, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, uh, which pretty well proves that uh, Yeshua is God. Um, but you, then all of a sudden you're telling them, okay, well, you know, you, you're going to get saved. This is going to be a win. Your life's going to be great. And you don't have to obey the Torah anymore. It's like, you know, the red flags go up, the uh, the sirens start, and uh, the air raid sirens start and everything else, and, and they walk away. Well, the whole problem is that Christianity's got it wrong. And like I said, um, here's the deal. Go to something called 119 Ministries, and if you've heard anything bad about it, give them a chance before you you cast them away. And uh, there's a, a video on 119 Ministry that's called Witch Law Paul. And this guy is amazing. He goes in to show us that Paul actually introduces it to us seven different laws in um in in his um epistles when he's talking about about them there's the law of Christ the law of sin the law of sin and death the law of God the law of Christ um the law of love i think is one of them and um so and all those things are represented in the torah okay so like i said Yes, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore because we have the ultimate sacrifice. Yes, we do not need Levites and Cohens anymore being priests and, and um, temple workers because, first of all, Yeshua is, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's made us the temple of the Holy Spirit. And um, that reminds me, i got to jot that down. Um, I'm going to bring that up. Um, anyway, um, so he's made us the temple of God and the temple had three courts, which is representative of um, also man is made up of three parts um, and, uh, and God is three parts and that's the, the whole Trinity thing. And um, you know, there's even among Christians now there's Christians that are starting to doubt if there's a Trinity. Um, but I think if God made us in his image and we're in three parts, then uh, it's pretty safe to say that God can have three parts in one person. Um, anyway, where was I going with this? So the fact that you've nullified everything that a Jew has believed for his whole life and been taught his whole life, especially if they're conservative Orthodox or ultra orthodox, the and the reformed and the, and the um, now there's another one that's even 
uh, more watered down than the Re- Reconstructionists. That's what it is. Um, are basically Jews by name only and uh, and nothing else. Um, nice people. Don't get me wrong, but uh, when it comes to their religion, they're they're basically um, like like your Christian that goes to church on Christmas and Easter and maybe on a couple of other holidays. And every other day he's out drinking and we're, that's a bad thing because not all Reconstructionists choose drink. But you know what I mean? Um, just re, re, just the, in name only. Let's just say that. And there are plenty of people out there that are Christian in name only, um, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, the Bible calls them. Um, so anyway, there's another reason why, um, you know, the the Jew will walk away from you. And I've seen it time and time again um, because I've been ministering to Jewish people for a long time. Um, And I know that a lot of Jews that are listening to this are not going to like me because I say this, but um, there's an organization called Jews for Jesus. And um, I was part of that a long time ago. Uh, back in the 80s, I used to, when I lived in Southern, or I lived in California, in the, not in the Bay Area, but close to it. And every Friday night, I would drive over to um, to San Francisco, um, spend the night over there. They had a place called the Shalom Center. We would have a service on Friday night, and on Saturday morning, we would hit the streets of San Francisco. I know we were working on the Sabbath, but when you're, when you're saving, even Yeshua said, if a if a sheep falls into a ditch, you're going to work on the Sabbath to get that sheep out, right? Anyway, um, and every Saturday we'd go to places like Polk Street, which has a large gay influence there. Um, sometimes hate Ashbury, but very rarely. But Fisherman's Wharf was a place we used to go to a lot because a lot of tourists go down there. And we would just hand out, they called them broadsides. And the theory was that it's truth that'll hit you broadside, broadside inside the head, you know, and or the heart or whatever and, and get your attention. And they were kind of cartoonish and they were, they were really a lot of fun to hand out. Well, you know, I've, I've, I had it where, um, you know, Satanists would want to, Oh, here, let me help you pass those out. And they try to grab the pile and then walk away with it. And I, you know, get into a little scuffle and just have to walk away. And, um, but we were at a, um, I joined them at a County fair or something up in Sacramento the pioneer days. I can't remember. It was so long ago. And, um, and I was kind of a newbie at this. Okay. And I didn't know what I know now. If I knew what I knew now, I could have really had a good conversation with the gentleman that I'm about to bring up. But, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so the guy came up to me and he goes, what are you handing out? And he, he had, he obviously was Jewish. Um, just from the way he looked, you know, you, you can spot your own kind, so to speak, you know. But um, anyway, I said, well, you know, I'm with Jews for Jesus, and I'm handing out this literature. And so he took it, and he, he just skimmed through it like he wasn't even reading it. And then he ripped it up into about a thousand pieces and threw it right in my face. And he says, he's, you know, called me a Meshumid and um, that, uh, you know, that Jesus was not the Messiah. Jesus is not the Messiah. And and I said, well, have you ever read Isaiah 53? And he looked at me and he says, that's talking about our people, not about Jesus. Well, I don't know if you've ever read about Isaiah 53 but, or read the scripture, 
but it's definitely not talking about a group of people. It's talking about one individual who suffers a horrible torture and death. And as far as I know, the Jewish people are still around. They haven't been eliminated. There's been attempts to do that. And there'll, there'll still be another attempt to do that in the future, um, unfortunately. But um, no, still alive and well and thriving very well, the community is. And um, so and he stopped his feet and walked away. And I felt so bad about that. It was like, man, if I just knew more, if I just had the answers, if I just would have had one of the other more uh, more educated uh, Jews for Jesus with me at the time, maybe we could have talked to the guy a little better. And I prayed for him as they walked away. And I said, Lord, just show him the truth. And I hope that the Lord answered it, my prayer. And um, and I uh, I had a chance to meet uh, Moish Rosen, who was the founder of Jews for Jesus. And uh, his wife was, he and his wife were delightful people. Ruth, uh, I think her name was. And um, it was at a, a setting and it was in, um, it was somewhere in the Sacramento area, in the North Sacramento area. Um, it wasn't Carmichael. It was like in Orangevale or, or, or something like that. And, um, and he called me aside and I, I kind of was honored, <laughs> you know, and, uh, he said, David, he says, you know, he said, he says, I want to welcome you. You know, I'm glad you're here. He says, but I, I feel like I have almost like a word for you. I needed to talk with you. And I said, okay. And he says, look, there are going to be a lot of people that come into your life and they're going to they're going to be Jews and they're going to not like what you're doing. And he says there are a lot of them are going to tell you you're crazy and and things like that, which has happened. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, Christians aren't going to understand you because according to Christianity, you, you can't be a Christian and a Jew and Jews aren't going to understand you. And both groups aren't going to like you, but uh, Christians aren't going to like you because if you still claim to be Jewish, you're they think you're not a Christian. So he says, all you got to do is just remember who God said that you are and and realize that his opinion is the one that matters and nothing else matters. And he put his arm around me and, you know, and he prayed for me and stuff. And boy, I'll tell you, I'll never forget that. I can remember the living room, what it looked like when I was there. And I think it was the Mike and Cecilia Butcher used to, to run that. And um, uh, they were living up there at the time and later moved down to San Francisco and, and worked directly with Jews for Jesus. But um, anyway, it's it's funny that I remembered their names. It really is after all these years. Um, but uh, if you've ever listened to one, what is it, one, one Israel or something like that, or one with Israel. There's a guy on there that talks about, uh, his name is Stuart Dowerman. Nicest guy I have ever met in my entire life. Um, very Jewish, okay? <laughs> loves the Lord God with all of his heart. Loves Jesus like I've never met anybody that loves Jesus or Yeshua. And uh, he's on there, and he gives his testimony about coming from Brooklyn, and that is. His mother was a Jew and his father was a Gentile or one or the other. And that he was brought up as a Jew and that, um, you know, he was brought up to believe some weird things about Christians and stuff like that. And um, 
I, I, I ran across it one day online and I said, that's Stuart Dowerman for goodness, goodness sakes, you know, and I listened to the whole thing and started crying because I, I just remembered our times of worship. We had the most wonderful times of worship at the Shalom Center. It was out on Ocean Avenue in San Francisco. And, uh, it is a time of my life, you know, you could speak bad about Jews for Jesus all you want, but you know, they, the Jews that I ran into at Jews for Jesus love the Lord loved Yeshua with all their heart and gave up a lot for, for their testimony too. They lost family members. They were, um, some of them had their, their relatives consider them dead in their eyes because of what they believed. Didn't want to have anything to do with them anymore. And, um, and didn't cave under the pressure. You know, I had a lot of, I, I joined their singles group for a brief while and had a great time with them. Uh, we, we uh, went on hikes like out at Point Reyes, which darn near killed me. <laughs> it, was, it was not a good hike. Uh, long story, but I found out that the the uh, the hiker that was leading it, who said it was going to be a short hike, was a professional um, hiker and tracker, and uh, had actually climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. So for him, this was nothing but uh, a short hike, which I thought was going to be up to the top of the hill and back down, turned out to be a 10-mile hike over hill and over dale. And uh, everybody brought fruit to eat, and uh, I don't do very good with fruit because um, I have um, a condition, an intestinal condition that, uh, let's just put it this way, fruit and I don't get along. <laughs> Um, and there wasn't a bathroom on that whole trail except for like maybe a half a mile from the end of the whole hike. So that was pretty interesting. But anyway, um, there's a group of people that talk about an identity crisis, you know, and um, they, they follow more of the, the Baptist uh, mode of uh, Christianity, which is cool because it's fundamentalist. And, uh, you know, you're not going to go wrong with fundamentalism. Um Strictly the Bible. Um, what is this? Solus Biblia or something like that. Bible only. Um, yes, lacking in the gifts. And um, uh, although I did, I did witness some Jews for Jesus that uh, that practiced the gifts, and I was really happy to see that. Um, but I used to relish the times that they would come out, and um, they used to have uh, their their name of their group was the Liberated Wailing Wall. And uh, they used to come to churches and sing, and they'd, other groups would come out and put on Christ in the Passover um, presentations. And uh, man, what a ministry that was! It's it was amazing. And I know a lot of Jews see them as a almost as a predatory kind of organization, but all they were doing was just trying to help Jews understand who Yeshua is and why he's the Messiah. But um, Anyway, um, so we talk. We were talking about tradition and how it gets in the way. Um, so back in, in Yeshua's time, after his death and resurrection and his ascension to heaven, um, Peter was out um, evangelizing in, in Jerusalem, and uh, that was where the church got persecuted the most. Um, if you do any study, you find out that um, in the Roman Empire proper, um, aside from Judea, um, Christianity was tolerated. It wasn't appreciated, but it was tolerated. And they used to call Christians heretics because, um, or pagans, that's what they call them, 
Uh, I just finished a class last year uh, in college on uh, early church history. It was it was a dynamite class, um, Bushnell University and down in Eugene. And um, so they uh, they were called pagans because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. And basically, you could practice your Christian religion in Rome. The only time that you would have a problem is if you offended your neighbor or you offended somebody by an outward display of your Christianity, then they could turn you over. They could turn you over to the authorities. Then the authorities would have a trial to determine if you were guilty of paganism or not. And at that time, you were given the choice to recant, uh, sacrifice to the Roman gods, and everything would be okay or not recant and still proclaim your religion and, or sorry, not religion because Christianity is not religion. It's a relationship. Um, but you know, you would, you would deny what they were asking you to do. And that's when you would be um, sent to the arena or burned at the stake. And every once in a while you would just be thrown in jail like Paul was um, before he proclaimed he was a Roman citizen. Um, but uh, so it was, it was tolerated a lot outside of uh, Judea, but if uh, Peter being in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas, when he was um, preaching, it was not tolerated at all. Because, I mean, we're talking about the center hub of Judaism here. You know, we're talking about uh, Jerusalem, God's city, you know, and um, the uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the, uh, the scribes and the keepers of the law, they're kind of lumped together under that term, the keepers of the law, uh, teachers of the law, uh, were, um, that was their hub, so to speak. Um, it would be trying to like set up a, an American Airlines hub in Denver when it's a United Airlines hub. You know, you just don't do that. Um, well, anyway, let me read the account because it's, it's kind of very interesting, actually. Um, and it's in Acts chapter 5. And um, it deals with with Peter and some of the other disciples, or uh, they were apostles at this time, and their encounter with the Sanhedrin, and a man named Gamaliel, who comes into play later on, because uh, later on we find out that uh, the Apostle Paul, who was also a persecutor of uh, believers um, at that time, believers in Yeshua, um, studied under Gamaliel, uh, was one of his students. So it's funny how all these actors tend to have some kind of link with one another. It's it's really interesting, and it's 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 something that you know that God God had to put together because man couldn't put it all together like this. But um, anyway, but uh, it it says, but a certain man named, um, and we're going to start out with an account that that shows why the the Jewish authorities were kind of concerned about what's going on. Okay. Um, at this time, um, let me give you a little background. The, um, the church was hurting, and there were some people in the church that, that were pretty well off um, financially, or they, had, they held properties and stuff or, or whatever. And, um, and then there were the poor, okay, the poor that didn't have a place to sleep, the, the widow, the orphan, and stuff like that. The, the people that the tithing um, in, in the um, Tanakh was supposed to take care of, that and the priests. Um, but um, 
anyway. So people were coming and bringing in their their goods or selling their land and bringing in the money from the sale and giving it to the apostles. And then the apostles were distributing it among the poor. And no, it wasn't communism because it was done as a, in a free will thing. Um, you might say that this account that I'm about to read wasn't a free will thing, but when you realize that, um, that they lied to the apostles and, and held back <laughs> um, without saying that they held back. You'll see. Um, so Acts 5.1, it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. They had property. Okay. And kept back a part of the price, his wife also being privy to it or having knowledge of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what I'm getting out of this is they're saying, we sold this land and here's the money. Okay. And it's not entirely true. So anyway, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Now, mind you that, it wasn't wrong for him to keep back a price of the land. It's just that he didn't tell them. He, he presented it like it was everything he got. Okay? So God's not the bad guy here. Neither is Peter. It's it's lying to the Holy Spirit. Anyway, it continues, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and a great fear came on all them that heard these things. Okay, remember, the Pharisees are hearing this too. Okay? And it's probably freaking them out pretty bad because they crucified the guy that these guys represent. Okay. Um, and... The young men arose, uh, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Holy Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband at the door are at the door and shall carry thee out. <clears throat> then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost and the young or, the, or her spirit. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her with her husband. And a great fear came upon the church and upon as many as heard these things. OK, now there's the catalyst for the, the Pharisees to enter in and start creating havoc okay and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people and they were all in one accord in Solomon's porch now remember when we read in Deuteronomy that if a prophet comes up and does signs and wonders and those things happen um, but he tells you to deny the Torah then there's something wrong it goes on to say you're supposed to stone him but um, anyway um, Peter was a prophet Okay, but he, um, Peter fought for the Torah. He thought that, matter of fact, Peter was under the impression that, uh, I think that, uh, that Gentiles, if they were going to come to faith, that they, they probably should become Jews first. Okay, I can't say that with an assuredness, 
But from the only indications of things that I've read, he believed that you had to be a Jew first, and then he became a Christian from that, or a believer in Yeshua from that. Um, anyway, I move on. And the, and the rest, and of the rest, there's no man himself join them, but the people magnified them. And believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. So it led to a little revival, which scared the Sadducees and the Pharisees even more. Okay, or the Sanhedrin, I should say. That was basically their court of law, like their supreme court. Um, Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and the couches. And at the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Um, and I guess they came back to life. Uh, they also came a multitude out of the cities, round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's an old English word, but it makes it sound so Obama. He called everybody folks. Um, I'm going to say bringing sick people and them which were vexed with unclean spirits or demon possessed, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest, here we go, the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. So the high priests were the Sadducees, and the Pharisees were the keepers of the law. Okay? Um, and the Sadducees were the priests, basically. Um, okay. And were filled with indignation, and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison. But the angel of the Lord at night opened up the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go and stand and speak in the temple to the people of the, to the people all the words of this, of this life. And let's see. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning. And you got to realize that the temple is a grounds area. It wasn't the exact temple. Um, they might have stood before. They stood on the temple grounds, but not necessarily in the temple. Okay. Um, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they found them not in the prison. They returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut uh, with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man with them within. Interesting. It was almost like um, when you read about alien abductions, when people can walk through walls. Isn't that interesting? Um, it's a physics that uh, that God knows about, and fallen angels know about it too, because they're able to come in that house and bring people out the same way. So uh, anyway, getting back to this, I don't want to get into that other whole thing, but... Um, and it says, and now the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things. They doubted them whereunto this would grow. Uh, then there came one of them. There came one and told them, saying, behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Imagine how that ticked them off, huh? Then went the... Uh, Okay, then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. In other words, the people were really getting into it, and um, 
they were being interrupted and they, they figured, hey, we better do this with tact or else the people are going to turn against us. Um, that should be happening in some of our country, cities these days, but maybe soon. Um, and when they brought and when they had brought them, they sat them before the council and the high priest asked them, saying, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, too late, pal, because it already is. <laughs> um, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus or Yeshua, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be the, the prince and savior and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Okay, hold on, I got to scroll here. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Okay, here we go. Gamaliel. Then stood there up one of the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, um, had it, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. In other words, to show them a little slack and said to them, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do touching these men. For, for before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing, and drew away many people after him, and also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say to you, this is a good part. Now I say to you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel is the work of men, it will come to naught or nothing. But, big but here, but if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even fighting against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commend, you're not going to get off scot-free, I guess, but it's better than dying. They commended them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and, and that they go. And he departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ or Yeshua HaMashiach. So um, I think Gamaliel realized that they were trying to judge Peter and the apostles under the the, uh, the tradition rather than under the Torah. And he was he all he said was, you know, these people come and they go. And and if it's of God, it's going to turn into something. And if it's not, it's just going to go away. OK, and we've seen that with false prophets even today. You know, it's. Uh, uh, there was a guy a few years ago, Prophet Yahweh Ben Yahweh, you know. Um, 
you never hear about him anymore. And all these people, uh, some of them, yes, you still hear about. You hear about, um, oh, I'm trying to think, <laughs> Aleister Crowley every once in a while. You, you hear about people that still follow him, and that's he's basically uh, a new age guru that um, was dressed in uh, Western man's clothes and, and um, was really into the occult and, um, but you hear about uh, false messiahs all the time, and uh, they come and they go. Uh, people like David Koresh, well, they, they perish in fires, and um, although what happened to him should not, not have happened, um, that's a whole other story for another day. But you talk about separation of church and state, unless it's uh, Bill Clinton and Janet Reno, then it's okay to, to burn um, men, women, and children alive in their house. Um, but anyway, so um, so we have um, Gamaliel, who's brought up under tradition, but I think understood the Torah. And I think when Paul talks about Gamaliel, uh, I'm going to look at it. Um, I think he gives him credit for teaching him the Torah. Let's see. I'll just look up Gamaliel again. I go to Blue Letter Bible. I love this program. It's online. And uh, let's see. I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. Yes, and was zealous towards God as ye are. This day, so he was brought up under the Torah, not the Talmud or, or oral tradition. Although I'm sure he heard it, and um, and he was um, he was guilty of being one of the people that held the coats while other people stoned um, uh, Stephen and some of the other apostles. But um, God had other plans for Paul or Saul, and um, but uh, Gamaliel did teach him the Torah. So he had a good foundation and he was able to distinguish. And that's why he talks about all the different laws um, in his um, letters to the different churches and um, how there are seven different laws and not all of them. Yeah, that's that's another thing I wanted to get into. Um, you know, a lot of people, oh, the, the Jews, they follow the law, but they don't sacrifice. So they're not really following the law. Uh, it's Jewish tradition now since the temple was destroyed that. Um, through prayer and good works, you can appease God, which is totally unscriptural. And uh, many Jews will have to answer for that one day, one way or another. I don't know how God's going to handle it. And frankly, that's between him and them. Um, all I know is that I, I accepted Yeshua as my savior and uh, I'm free from all that stuff. But um, I've gotten into conversations with uh, with people about about the law and um, uh, there, there are those who are willing to listen and then there are those who are willing to argue and, and stop their ears and go la 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 while you're talking you know and then but they'll pick up on certain things and then criticize you and everything else but um, anyway uh, I was talking to uh, I was going to church a number of years ago down in Sacramento I'm not going to say the name of the church because it's not necessary but, um, and you know, the pastor is a good pastor, and I still love him. And uh, 
I have every plans of when, whenever we go down to Sacramento of attending his church every every Sunday that we're there. Um, the great the guy's a great teacher, and um, and I again I don't want to say his name for for several reasons. His wife just passed, and I don't think he needs the controversy that I'm about to bring up. And uh, and it's just not important. I just want to tell the story, not the names. Um, so anyway, um, as young people will do, they, they tend to do things that are kind of strange and not necessarily scriptural. And um, as it has been for like the past 30 years now, people are really getting into tattoos or have gotten into tattoos. I think that's kind of starting to come to an end. Um, and I think within the next 20 years, people are going to realize that it's probably not a good idea. I think that the children born to the generations that have all the tattoos will realize, why did my parents do this? Isn't that the way it always goes with children? They te- they seem to go, they'll follow to a certain point, but they seem to go in the opposite direction where some things are concerned. Uh, myself, I have never been attracted to women with tattoos. Um, and um, I, I, ref- I would never marry a woman with a tattoo, <laughs> no matter how small it is, because I just don't agree with that practice. Um, it would take a lot of grace and a lot of um, convincing from the Lord to do that. But you know what? I'm married now and my wife doesn't have a tattoo. And um, I really give her a lot of credit for that because there are a lot of women her age. Uh, we're in our early 60s who have gone out. and um, I don't know. It just I don't know. It's um, <laughs> the Lord says that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I don't think it's right to put graffiti on, write graffiti on the outside of the temple, so to speak. Um, but uh, anyway, these two girls, um, they were relations to the pastor. I think a daughter and a daughter-in-law. And um, it was like they were having a tattoo contest. And then, and then the husbands were getting into it, too. And, um, and so I, I had brought it up. And um, my wife at the time, Lourdes, um, was totally opposed to tattoos, as is my current wife. Um, we don't, we don't, my current wife and I, we don't, Barbara, you know, I've talked about her before. Um, we don't uh, condemn people for having them. It's just a choice that we make not to have them. And, um, you know, what a person wants to do to their body is up is between them and God, although it's not scriptural. Um, and probably should not be practiced. But anyway, um, so there's a scripture in um, Leviticus that says that, you know, you're not supposed to put markings on your body, nor you're supposed to pierce your body, because those are the things that the people that inhabit the land, the pagans that inhabit the land do. And you are not those people. You are my people. So don't do it. So <clears throat> in walks the the law has been nailed to the cross and it's not effective anymore. So anyway, um, so I, we were having, uh, back then there was, um, there was some program online where you could talk to people and it was like a live conversation. Um, I can't remember exactly what it is right now. And uh, my wife had gotten into a conversation with one of these girls and, um, somehow the subject of tattoos came up and I, you know, I didn't really want to talk about it, but you know, since my wife brought it up and she was basically being attacked, I had to jump in there and help her. 
Um, that's my first wife, Lourdes. And, um, so anyway, I got on there and I says, well, you know, let me have the keyboard. And, and I said, I said, ask me, answer me a question. You know, I said, um, are you saying that, um, that the, uh, the law was nailed to the cross so we don't have to pay attention to it anymore? And she basically said, yes, that's what I'm saying. And I said, okay, well, it says not to get tattoos or get piercings. And she says, I told you that's part of the Old Testament. We don't have to obey that anymore. I said, okay, so the very next scripture after that, the next verse, says that you're not supposed to prostitute your daughter. I said, if you had a daughter, I think she was pregnant at the time, too. I said, if you had a daughter, would you prostitute her? And it got quiet for a moment. And then she typed in, are you calling me a prostitute? And I said, no, people always do that. You know, if you bring up something like this, all of a sudden you're attacking them instead of attacking what they believe. Um, I said, no, that's not what I said. I, I asked if you're saying that the law is not valid, then is it okay to prostitute your daughter? Well, it, it went from bad to worse. And, and I just said, you know, we need to terminate this conversation and, and let's cool down and we'll speak some other time about it. Well, they didn't want to let it cool down. Um, they presented it to the pastor and said that I was harassing them. We were harassing them. So the pastor, you know, in all fairness, he, he got, uh, both of those couples together along with me and my wife. And he sat in basically as a coach. And, um, you know, I said, I'm not criticizing you for the, the choice you make. I'm criticizing it or not criticizing. I'm asking the question, is it a scriptural thing to do? And, uh, you know, the law is dead thing came up again. And I said, yeah. And I said, you got real offended when I brought up the next law that comes right after the one about piercing. And I said, and I was not calling you a prostitute. I was just saying that if it's okay to get piercings, then it must be okay to prostitute your daughter. And they had no argument about that. I mean, they couldn't argue with it, right? It's, it's, it would be ludicrous. Well, anyway, it, it started to get heated again and, and there was no talking about it. There was just no reasoning. And, um, so, you know, we, we, we all agreed that we had to agree to disagree and that, uh, the subject would not be brought up again. But, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a shame when, when people take on, um, earthly traditions. Basically, that's what they were taking on, an earthly tradition, a worldly tradition, one that says that, you know, it's, it's cool. It's acceptable to get tattoos. And again, I'm going to, I'm going to stress and emphasize that if you've got tattoos, that's between you and God. If you got them before you were a believer, well, that's, that's no big deal. Um, if, if you're getting them afterwards, you know, you got to examine why you're getting them, why you're doing it. Okay. Um, and again, a lot of it's done out of ignorance because people believe that the law is dead and doesn't affect it. But again, I, I bring up the, the notion that the body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why do you want to put graffiti on the side of it? Um, can you imagine what would have happened if a Jew would have, or let's say a Gentile or a Jew would have walked up to Solomon's temple and, and started tagging it with a spray can if they would have had something like that at those times, you know? Um, they would have been stoned to death. You know, it's just something you didn't do. So there are a lot of laws in, 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 um, in Leviticus, um, 
in, in the, there's 613 laws exactly. And a lot of them have to do with uh, sacrifices and, and things like that. And, and those, again, we don't have to worry about or do. But if you read um, the last part of Ezekiel and some of the other prophets, and you read about what the, the millennium is going to be like, um, you're going to realize that sacrifices are going to start back up. They're not going to be uh, sacrifices for sin because we're going to have Yeshua there. And um, he's the, the sacrifice for sin. And, you know, um, anybody that's born during the millennium, all they're going to have to do is confess faith in him and and live like a believer and, and everything will be OK. But um, there's going to be um, sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, um, oblations and stuff like that, just to, of thanksgiving to God for what he did. And um, yes, and it will involve animals and it will involve a temple. But um, so sacrifices will continue um, and and be continuous through the millennium. Um, I don't know if that's going to there is some suggestion that in a new heaven and a new earth that that might happen. But that's that's a a judgment call. And it's it's something that's um, uh, could go either way when you're reading that scripture. It could be the millennium also. So. with a new heaven and a new earth, I don't see why we would need to do that. But uh, we, we're always going to be thankful for to Yahweh for what he's done for us and to Yeshua for his sacrifice. So um, anyway, so traditions, both tr- Christian traditions and Jewish traditions tend to get in the way. Now, the reason I bring that up, I almost forgot. I almost ended the show without bringing this up. Um, there is um, a scripture I read it last night, and I'm going to read it again. I'm just going to go in here and type in Daniel 9, if I can figure out how to do There we go. Um, Daniel 9. And, um, okay. So in Daniel 9, we find, um, I just want to make sure I'm going to, I might have to go to 12, but I think it's 9. Okay, yeah, it is nine. Okay, so in Daniel nine, we find Daniel in prayer and he's interceding for the people. Uh, they're they're in exile and they're in Babylon, and he knows that um, quite plainly that the decree is that the uh, the exile is going to be for seventy years, and after that the uh, the Jews are going to be allowed who want to go back are going to be allowed to return to Israel and to rebuild Jerusalem. So. Like he probably did it every day, he was asking for forgiveness for his fellow Jews and for the nation of Israel and and all that stuff and for, and forgiveness for himself too because you know he's human being just like everybody else. And um, anyway, so he's doing this like he did every night, and if you read some scriptures, you'll you'll realize that he did it every night. And one time he was thrown into a lion's den for doing it because the king had said that, you know, you couldn't worship any other god. And if you were heard doing so, you would be killed. And um, and that also happened, I think, to Ananias. No, no, what am I saying? Wrong story. Um, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, which were their Babylonian names, by the way. That were not the real Jewish names. They were Hananiah, Ananias, and somebody else. Anyway, um to continue with the story um, 
So he was praying and interceding for his people, and uh, God heard his prayer. And this is one of two accounts where an angel, at least two accounts where an angel came to talk to Daniel. And um, and he says, and, and you're going to see why now the um, the rabbis don't like Jewish people reading Daniel 9. Um, they don't like it because it is actually a, it gives a, a series of times and events that will happen until Messiah shows up. And um, they don't like that. As a matter of fact, if you pick up a Jewish Tanakh, you will realize that Daniel is not in a section with the prophets like it is in a Christian Bible. It's in with the writings because they don't want it to be seen. The, the whole account of Daniel and uh, interfacing with these angels and and being talked to by God is seen as literature. It's not seen as pr- prophecy. So, um, and for obvious reasons, because if it's taken seriously, then um, Judaism's got a big problem because they're disobeying the Lord. And someday they will read this and they'll recognize that it's from the Lord. But uh, I'm going to read this and then um, we'll actually... Let me go into uh, something that's called the rabbinic curse about Daniel, okay, and specifically the ninth chapter. Uh, It's kind of dubious, and a lot of people say that it's not there. Um, If you if you get into forums, you know you're going to have some Jews that'll say, "I've read the the um, Talmud and I've never found that it's not there." Um, But there's there's a direct quote here with a uh, with something that actually, you know, you can uh, look at. Um, and I'm just going to read the page real quick. Uh, some questions have been raised about the source of the rabbinic curse on Daniel 9, as quoted in our article, The 70-Week Prophecy, uh, and by Daniel Professor Veith in his video, Just Another Man. Although we do not, although we have not been able to locate the exact source, Used in this presentation, we do offer here sources that show that an existence of such a curse. Okay, so quote number one: um, A sage said, "May the curse of heaven fall upon those who calculate the date of the advent of the Messiah, and thus create political and social unrest among the people." And it's said that that's found in um, a work called Sanhedrin 97b, as in boy. Okay, and then there's um, it comes from a a work uh, by Lewis Newman and Samuel Spitz, both Jews. Um, the Talmud, Talmudic uh, anthology, Tales and Teachings of the Rabbi. It's put out by uh, Berman House, 1945. It was published. Um, I think it's on page 277. I think that's what that means. And it gives an ISBN number, so you can look it up and maybe order it. Um, another quote. Um, what is meant by, but the, but at the end it shall speak, um, we are and not lie. And that's, uh, Rabbi Samuel B. Nachmani said in the name of Rabbi Jonathan, um, and this is the quote, uh, Blasted be the bones of those who calculate the end, for they would say, 
since the predetermined time has arrived and yet has not come, he will never come. But even so, wait for him as it is written. Though he tarry, wait for him. Should you say we look forward to his coming, but he does not, therefore scripture saith, and therefore the Lord wait, and he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, and he may have mercy upon you. But since we look forward to it, and he does likewise without delay, without delays his coming, the attribute of justice delays it, but since the attribute of justice delays it, why do we await it? To be rewarded for hoping, as is the as it is written, blessed are those who wait for him. And there's some footnotes um, referring back to Isaiah 30, verse 18, um, and then some other stuff. And and again, it's um, referred to in Sanhedrin 97b of the Babylonian Talmud, um, Tractate uh, Sanhedrin. And um, I understand that book is available, but it's very expensive. So we'll see about that. Uh, quote three, rabbis after the time of Christ have pronounced a curse on anyone who would attempt to calculate the dates of, the chap- of this chapter. And he refers back to Talmud um, Sanhedrin 97b, the Sonsino edition, page 659. Um, quote number four. Furthermore, this passage deals primarily with Jesus, not the, not with some future Führer, um, as in the German word Führer, um, to use Hal Lindsey's term for the Antichrist. Um, in fact, the prophecy points so unmistakably to the time of the Messiah's coming and so directly foretold his death that in the latter centuries, Jewish rabbis who did not accept Jesus discouraged his study and finally pronounced a curse on all those who, on all, all who attempt to compute the time elements. This footnote above, and then um, it says, see uh, Talmud, Sanhedrin 97b, Sonsino edition, page 659. Um, <clears throat> quote number five. And I, I don't think there's much more after this. Um, and it's in the question of has Messiah come by Avram Yehoshua. Um, the most amazing thing occurs in the ninth chapter of Daniel. We're told that when Messiah would come. But instead of explaining it to us, our rabbis curse anyone who want to, wanting to find it out. Rabbi Samuel B. Nachmani said, in the name of Rabbi Jonathan, blasted be the bones of those who calculate the end. Some of our rabbis, in a further attempt to keep us from Daniel, even state that Daniel was wrong. Alfred Edelsheim, a Talmudic, a Talmudic um, scholar who had come to know Messiah, said, Later rabbinism, uh, which naturally enough could not find its way through the messianic prophecies of the book, declared that even Daniel was mistaken. Ooh. And uh, there's a couple of footnotes there. Uh, quote six, uh, and this is the quote, Rab said, all the predestined dates to redemption have passed, and the matter now depends only on repentance and good deeds. There you go. The answer for getting rid of uh, for there not being animal sacrifices, repentance and good deeds. 
sorry, it's not going to work. And again, it's referred to, referring to Sanhedrin 97b, Babylonian Talmud, Tractate Sanhedrin. Um, and then there's, let's see, I think this finishes this up here. Yes, it does. Um, Jesus and the Talmud. In Judaism, the Talmud is called the most holy. It is the source book for Jews. This is, we're talking about oral tradition here. Okay. Um, they should be calling the Torah the most holy. <laughs> and many Jews do. But, uh, there are some are hung up on the Talmud, especially the Orthodox and the Ultra Orthodox. <clears throat> and some of the higher Orthodox, uh, parts of uh, the conservative movement. Anyway. Um, and here's the quote. On the eve of Passover, Jesus was hanged. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald went forth and cried, He is going to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. Anyone who can say anything in his favor, let him come forward and plead on his behalf. But since nothing was brought forward in his favor, he was hanged on the eve of Passover. Um, Ula retorted, do you suppose he was one for whom a defense could be made? Was he not a messith or an enticer uh, concerning whom scripture says, neither that neither shall thou spare nor shall thou conceal him? Um, with Jesus, however, it was different for he was not connected with the government. Okay, and that's in Sanhedrin 43a. Anyway, um, the scholars know that when you calculate the time of the Messiah using Daniel 9 as the prophetic template, you come up to one Messiah, Jesus Christ, but they rejected him. The stone that was rejected turned out to be the capstone or the cornerstone, the foundation. No other foundation can we have than that which is in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, the Bible says, um, Israel rejected Messiah that their own scriptures point to and say, blasted be the, blasted be the ones who try to calculate, um, why he didn't come. This is the Jewish Talmudic theology regarding, or you could say traditional theology regarding the absence of a timely Messiah. And it says the Sosino edition of the Talmud can be purchased on the web here, but please note that it is very expensive. We shall see. Um, anyway, so um, modern Jews have a lot of things working against them. They've got Christians working against them that tell them that they have to be saved, but they have to deny the Torah, which it, God says in, um, or Yahweh says in Deuteronomy chapter 13, you're not to do that because uh, that people will try to come and entice you. Um, into, into following false gods and tell you that you shouldn't study the Torah. So if anybody comes around like that, reject them. So, you know, a Christian says you got to be saved, but the, the law is, is done with. That that just moots the whole thing right there. It null and voids it. Um, the, the practices of Christianity over the last 2,000 years, the pogroms, the... Um, expulsions and everything else in the, in the name of, uh, in, that were done in Jesus name, ashamedly, um, is another thing that keeps Jews from wanting to come to, to faith in Yeshua. Um, having a curse pronounced on anyone who reads 
an actual timeline that shows the exact time that Messiah would come and be killed um, is another thing that keeps it from happening. So um, there are a lot of things that fall into place here, and not to mention uh, Christians practicing paganism by um, practicing holidays that that traditionally for um, millennia were were practiced by, um, essentially, let me say that again, um, placing their holidays on days that were traditionally pagan holidays and doing it to appease the pagans so that the pagans wouldn't persecute the church and so that maybe the pagans would come into the church. Um, Jesus said you can't have two masters because you'll love one and despise the other or you'll cleave to one and you'll hate the other. Um, either you're for Yeshua or you're against them. There is no appeasing um, here's a story. Okay. Might as well. What the heck? You know, it's, it's only one thirty, and um, I still got a half hour if I want to on the show. But anyway, it won't take that long. Um, there, there's a movement in Christianity these days to become like the world so that the world will accept us. And that's exactly diametrically opposed to what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a light on the top of a hill that draws, that sheds light on, on, uh, in the darkness. We're supposed to be, we're not supposed to be, have a bushel placed upon us that takes away the light, which is what happens when you try to mix the world in with, with Christianity. Um, you know, you can't, you can't meld things. You can't mix things because it never, ever, ever, ever works. Okay. Um, <clears throat> there was a, um, a church down in Eugene, and I think it's still going, but it's um, it's changed quite a bit. Um, and I started getting worried about it when one of the churchgoers, and it, it wasn't anybody that I'm related to or anything, but walked up to me and they were bragging about how they were playing. Um, oh, she's a she's a witch now, I guess. I I can't remember her name. Um, but they were playing her music during worship times to appease the people that were coming in from the world. Okay. So what's wrong with this story? <laughs> um, you know, I, the Israelites tried to do that by bringing false gods into the temple and still worshiping God at the same time. It didn't work. Um, they were heavily, heavily pers- um, prosecuted by God for doing that. Um, and uh, Katy Perry, that's whose music they were playing. And um, so I go, you know, I, I just asked the person, I said, do you see anything wrong with that? You know, well, you know, it's bringing the people in from the from the outside. You know, it's they're coming to church. And I'm going, yeah, because you're turning church into the world. <laughs> well, that didn't go over very well. Um, but anyway, um so we went there a couple times uh, to appease a relative that was going to church there. And it was not my cup of tea. I didn't feel the spirit of God there at all. Um, some people might argue with me, but I didn't. And it was uh, the, the, the worship was way too loud. It hurt my ears. Um, and it was, it was all rocky and stuff like that. And that could be praise, but it's not worship. Worship is, um, Speaking like soft platitudes, uh, lovely platitudes to your wife, you know, when 
you know how it is when you first meet the woman that you know you're going to marry and you, you tell her how much you love her and how much you appreciate her and how beautiful she is and everything else. And, um, hopefully you keep doing that the rest of your marriage, but, um, that's what worship's supposed to be like. You know, adoration is what the uh, Spanish call it. Um, so we're, we're supposed to show our adoration by, um, speaking softly and lovely in the ears of our Lord, not by uh, banging a drum and, um, you know, playing your guitar so loud that they can hear it, uh, halfway across your city. Um, and bang, and playing a drum during worship, I have a big problem with that anyway. It's, you know, I think it's pagan in origin and I can prove it, but I'm not going to do it here. Um, anyway, um, so, uh, I think we read, do we read Daniel 9? Oh, I'm trying to think if we read it. I don't think I did because I started out with a rabbinic curse. I, and I'll read it in a minute. But you can't melt. You can't, um, there's a scripture that says, what is, um, what does Christ have to do with Belial? And, um, there's another, um, comparison that he makes. In other words, you can't mix. You can't mix two things together and expect. Um, it's like oil and um, oil and water, or oil and vinegar. You know, they'll they'll they they just don't mix together. They separate the first chance they get, and that's what happens when you start mixing in um, paganism with Christianity. And and now, you know, if you, I happen to know a lot of people that come from other countries. Um, and I'm talking about not Christian countries. I'm talking about people from Asia and Southeast Asia and stuff. I've had occasion to meet a lot of people that come from Iran, um, India, and they're under the impression that Christmas is all about, first of all, giving gifts, singing Christmas songs, waiting for Santa to come, uh, singing about snowmen and everything else. So, you know, it's, it's just, gone all to hell basically and um, people are getting the wrong impression of what Christmas is all about and the same way Easter you know you talk to somebody that comes here from another country that has never been exposed to Christianity um, they'll join in in Easter egg hunts you know because they think that's what Easter is all about and um, you show me a rabbit that lays an egg and I'll I'll show you things that you would never imagine but uh, um and I don't mean to be cruel by saying that. It's just that you're not going to show me that. And it's, and it's all Babylonian tradition. It's all, um, neo-Babylonian because it's an, it's the revival of the Babylonian religion within the church. So, um, so you can't mix. And anyway, so getting back to this, this fellowship down in, and I call it a fellowship. I don't even really like to call it a church because a church is a gathering of, uh, righteous saints together. And uh, whether those people are righteous, I, I really don't know, yes or no. But um, if you're if you're mixing in worldly stuff with um, with uh, things that are holy, then um, you're casting your pearls before the swine and offering what's holy unto the dogs. So um, and that's something that Jesus told us not to do. But anyway, um, I never felt good about the pastor for some reason. It just he just bothered me. Um, it seemed to me that he would leer at women, you know, like he had thoughts going through his head when he'd see other women. And this would be at like 
Uh, I think one time it was a fireworks display, um, 4th of July, and we were all sitting together. And I noticed this, and I'm like, there's something wrong with this guy. You know, there really is. And being a guy, you know, you know when there's something wrong with some other guy, you know, um, especially when it comes to that area. So anyway, um, time went on, and then all of a sudden um, I read in the paper that um, – some people were having an issue with this church because they were they were putting forth a uh, a program to get to get the unsaved to come into church, and the program was called Church Sucks. Yeah, you heard me, Church Sucks. And so I was like, well, first of all, the church is a holy thing; it's a gathering of holy people that get together. And if you say that sucks, then um, there's something wrong there. And then you're playing Katy Perry songs to bring people in. And um, I wrote a letter to the guy and I said, do you really think this is a good idea? You know, you're mixing in the world with um, with uh, with Christianity and you're you're saying that the gathering together of the saints sucks and and everything else. And and everything. And, and I don't remember if I got a letter back from him or not. And if I did, it was something that was excusing what he was doing. Um, I think that's what happened. I, I got to learn to keep these things. But um Anyway, um, and I, I had a word for him. I said, you know, this is, this isn't good. I said, this is going to lead to a church split and it's going to, it's just going to turn bad, really bad. And, um, and I left it at that and I never got a reply to that. And, um, a year later, almost to the day that he came out with the church sucks thing, um, I got news that, um, he had been caught having an illicit affair with one of the members of the church that his wife was um, going to sue for divorce. She later ended up forgiving him, uh, which I guess is the Christian thing to do as long as he's, he he um, was truly repentant. But um, anyway, the church did split. Um, they kicked him out of the church. He's several times asked to come back and they won't let him in, which is good. Um so they seem to have gotten their act together and hopefully they realized that what they were doing was wrong. And, um, I don't know what he's doing. I think he went back to a secular vocation and, um, but you know, the Lord, or I should say Yahweh, um, doesn't like it when we mock him, when we mock his bride, because the church is his bride. And basically when you're saying the church sucks, you're saying the bride of Christ sucks. You know, who <laughs> would do that if they're saved? Um, anyway, um, it's uh, it didn't turn out for the better. And, and it just goes to show you that God um, sticks up for his own integrity and won't allow people to, um, especially maybe he loves the guy and he just wanted to bring him to correction. So he acted a lot faster than he would act in other um, instances with, with other people who defame him and, make a mockery of his, uh, his bride, his, his holy church. But, um, anyway, uh, when I ended up with, um, so we talked about the curse, um, uh, that the rabbinics have for, uh, people that, uh, try to set a date for, uh, the coming of Messiah. And um, you can read books about this. You can look it up online. It's all over the place online. But uh, the way this prophecy reads out, and if you use 360-day years instead of 365, 
because the uh, Jewish calendar operates on a 360-day year. It's a lunar calendar. Um, you uh, you come up with, I think it's uh, Passover on A.D. 33. And that's the day that Messiah was cut off. But anyway, um, if I did read this, I'm sorry, I'm going to read it again. Okay. Because it's the, really the crux of the whole radio show. And it says, um, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken to do, and do not to defer not. Let me start that again. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do, defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for the city of thy people that are called by thy name. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people in Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. See what he's doing. He's praying an intercessory prayer. That's what we need to be doing for this country, folks. Uh, I think Israel was a mess back then. <laughs> it's a mess. It's, it's exactly the same as we are here nowadays, killing innocent babies and um you know, defying the, the word of the Lord left and right and and writing them off, kicking them out of our, our, out of our schools, uh, not being able to pray in school, uh, the whole nine yards. It's just a debauchery. So um, anyway, he continues. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the beginning, uh, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me at about the time of the evening of oblation which is an evening, the, the evening prayer. Um, and he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Okay. He was praying for, for intercession and God's going to tell him what to do, what's going to happen. You know, you don't get answers unless you ask questions. And if you don't pray, um, and pray in supplication for other people. You, a lot of times you won't get answers either because if it's a self-centered prayer, then I wonder if sometimes if they're heard. Um, let's see. Any, okay, I read that. Okay. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth. See, even God knew right away what he was going to do. He says, at the beginning of thy supplications, praying for Israel and his people, the commandment came forth, and I have come here to show thee, and thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. And he goes into it. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of the sin, and to make an end of sins. Okay, remember that to make an end of sins, not just a sin, but sins in general. And to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Hmm, interesting. Anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that the go from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, which was done by King Cyrus, um, unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks. And three score and two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And I can't think of more troublous times than when um, uh, when the Romans were there. Um, 
Anyway, and after three score and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. In other words, killed, but not for himself. Right? He's a propitiation for our sins. Didn't die for himself. He died for us. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, which Rome did in 70 AD. And the end, therefore, shall be with a flood. And unto the end, the war desolations are determined. And he sh- and then it goes into the Antichrist. And uh, this is the last verse. So we're jumping from the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, um, going past the the ultimate uh, diaspora of the Jews in 135 AD, where they were scattered, not even allowed to live in Israel anymore. Um, and, and moving ahead some 1900 years, and it said, and he shall for, confirm a government, a government, <laughs> I'm tired, sorry. And he shall confirm the covenant with the many. Now, a lot of Christians are in error here because they say that that's Israel, that he'll confirm a covenant or a peace treaty with Israel. No, it's going to be with the many. It's going to be the whole world, actually. Um, he's going to make a peace treaty with the whole world for one week, which should be what seven days, um, which would be seven years, according to this. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, which means there's going to be a temple during that time because they're going to be sacrificing and and um, and offering prayers of uh, sacrifices of praise and prayer. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. In other words, the temple, even until the consummation, which is the return of Yeshua to wrap things up. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So anyway, there's the timeline. You know, um, it stopped with the the um, with the, the the murder or the uh, sacrifice of Yeshua, and then went forth some what 1900 years we'll say. Till a time when a man will come and confirm a covenant with the many or the world, let's say. And um, and then there's seven years left. So um, who that man is, we don't know. Uh, there are indicators in Scripture that say that we won't know until certain things happen. Uh, one of those things is a, a great falling away. Um, and uh, Yeah, that's basically the, the big one right there. And um, there are many that say that, you know, the rapture is going to precipitate this. I don't particularly think so. I think the rapture is in the center of the, you know, the mid-tribulation. Um, actually, the tribulation is only for three and a half years. It's it's in the middle of that seven-year period where um, where uh, it's all going to hit the fan, so to speak. Um, and that's when, you know, he'll cause the sacrifice to stop and and Matthew 24 goes into that really well um, it's a good Matthew 24 kind of goes into this and explains it more thoroughly so um, anyway uh, so we move ahead and and a lot of people are well you know when the when the church is taken out the Holy Spirit's going with them well if you do a word study of them because um, it says um, he that restraineth will be kept from restraining anymore. 
Okay, in, in uh, my paraphrase. Um, and if you look up that word restrain, it means to hold back, much like the um, the uh, the gates of the dam hold back the water from from pouring forth. And once the gates are let down, the water is poured forth. Now, the gates are still there, right? They're just letting the, the water pour forth. So the Holy Spirit is still going to be here during um, during the first three and a half years. I think believers are going to be here during the first three and a half years. We'll be taking out just before the last trumpet, which Paul says will happen. Um, at the last trump, he says, and there's seven trumpets in Revelation. Um so we might get to see a little bit of the hell that's going to happen on earth, but not the, uh, not the pers, uh, not persecution, but not the, um, the prosecution, I should say, of the, um, secular world and the unbelievers and those who take the mark. That's going to happen in the last three and a half years. Um, I'll be gone for that as far as I know. And, um, and also there's an interesting scripture in, uh, Revelation 10. Uh, just before the seventh trumpet, actually, uh, that says that, um, um, and he, and he gave a command that time should be no more. And if you look at that, uh, the wordage in the Greek, it actually means something that has existed ceases to exist and has been replaced by something else. So, and he's talking about time. So it's, it's like God's going to remove time for, for, <laughs> pardon the pun, a brief time. And um, I don't know what that's going to look like. Is it going to be both the spiritual dimension joined with the um, the um, linear dimension that we live in now? Are the people that are worshiping idols at that time and and um, and worshiping Satan going to actually see what uh, has been going on behind their backs the whole time? See the ugliness that they've been worshiping? Maybe that's why they start crying uh, when they see the the sign of the Son of Man, because they know that, hey, the jig's up and uh, it's going to be over with pretty soon. And uh, I truly believe that when they accept this, the, the mark of the beast, they, they, that they know that they're being sealed for Lucifer. And uh, when they see that Yeshua is going to return, um, it's all going to click. And they're going to know that their judgment's coming up and uh, they'll be thrown into hell and uh, hell later on will be thrown into the lake of fire with sin and death. And um, and, and it'll all be over with. But um, so anyway, we have a timeline and we're told not to read it by certain rabbis and a, and a curse is placed upon us not to read it. Um, a curse that really has no effect um, because if... if <laughs> Um, it just doesn't because they have no power to curse. Um, they really don't. And, um, so it's null and void. And, um, so it's going to be an interesting time that's coming up. It's, um, it could be delayed for a few years because of what's happening currently in the world. If things go a different way, it could start tomorrow. So. We'll see what happens. But um, anyway, so now hopefully you'll understand a little bit, a little bit why when you try to lead your Jewish friend to, to faith in Jesus, why it doesn't work. Um, you know all the reasons now, or a lot of them. There may be some some other reasons, um, but uh, you know there there's a there's a common uh, thread 
within Judaism that, you know, you, that Gentiles are nice, but they're not to be trusted. And then that stems from all the persecutions, you know, okay, come live with us. Everything will be fine. And then, you know, 200 years later, they're killing Jews or kicking them out of the country. Um, so that, that lie is, um, I think that ended with the Holocaust actually. Um, but, um, anyway, so it's, there, there are many reasons and, and, and much like, um, many African Americans, um, are taught not to treat, not to trust whites because whites are out to get them. And just like many whites are, are told not to trust blacks because, um, you know, for various reasons, um, uh, it's the same way with, uh, you know, uh, if, 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 if I've been taught most of my life that the Gentiles are, um, are, are bad and have never been for our, looking out for our good interest. And then one of them comes up to me and says, Hey, I know this guy that will save you, uh, from your sins and everything else. And, uh, are you interested? Well, there's another reason why you might not find one very interested and and remember one thing, if you would, please, um, I beg you that Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the father leads them. OK, so be be in prayer before you try to talk to a Jew about salvation, because he might not be um, at that point where he's ready. He might not have been led far enough to where. He, he's able to see the whole picture and able to recognize his or her sin or or the need for a, a Messiah. Um, so, you know, just as is the case of everybody that you try to lead to the Lord, um, I have found that people come to me. OK, and, and that works out the best when people come to me. If you go out wearing a sign saying the end of the world is coming, repent now. Most people are going to laugh and walk away. But if they can see for themselves that the end is coming, they're going to start seeking out somebody. Okay, so let them make up their own minds about seeking out somebody. You're not going to, you know, you can drop hints here and there, you know, about how, you know, nice your church service was last week and um, how you enjoyed how the, all the families got together Um you know, uh, avoid talking about the holidays because of the reasons I've explained. Um, participate with them in their holidays. Uh, Passover is just a, as much a um, believer's holiday as it is a Jewish holiday. You know, um, we've been passed over from sin and, and death, the death of Yeshua. Uh, most of the holidays in, in Judaism um most of the the holy, holy, high holy days, the days of uh, feasts and stuff like that are either precursors of the first uh, manifestation of Jesus, the first advent, or the the return of him. So um, there's a good talking point, a good um, way to to get to know one another and and get to show them, um, show my Jewish brothers and sisters how. You know how uh, Jesus fulfilled prophecy and is coming to fulfill the rest of it. You know, just pray and ask God for wisdom before you do anything. Okay, not just with Jews, but with anybody, with Muslims, with Buddhists. I've 
I've had some of the best conversations with Muslims talking about Jesus. And and it's been because I've been willing to listen to them. Okay. Um, we had a, a group, nice group of guys um, down in, uh, for the most part, nice. There were, there were a few that looked like upstarts. But, um, and two things happened. One um, was that uh, one time when they were ordering a meat tray, uh, to celebrate something. I can't remember what it was. Um, the, the Muslims would always partake with us, but I, uh, being a, being Jewish and knowing kosher laws and that the, the, the Islamic laws for, uh, for eating are, are very similar. I'd say, now remember, we've got Muslims here. So when you get trays of meat, make sure that there's no ham, um, on, on those trays and make sure that, um, uh, that this food isn't touching that food and, and so on and so forth. And, um, and they re- really respected me for that. Uh, the, the Muslims did. And, um, um, another thing that, uh, they really respect is when you don't participate in, um, some days that, uh, they, they don't think that you should participate in. For instance, um, they were having a Halloween celebration <laughs> at one workplace I was have I was at and, um, the Muslims weren't in there, of course, and uh, and they saw me in the break room talking with a, a Catholic friend of mine, and we 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 didn't participate in that because, you know, that's like foolishness for young people, but um, and it's definitely ungodly. But um, so he walked through the the warehouse and he says, "Why aren't you in there with the others?" And I said, "Because I'm a believer in Yeshua." You know, you, I said you could call me a Christian if you want. Uh, and I said, and that's a satanic holiday and I will have nothing to do with that holiday. And he got the strangest look on his face. It was like a blank stare. And he looked at me and he said, finally, a Christian that lives by his convictions. And he walked out of the room and I'm like, wow, what a powerful testimony that was. That was one of the most powerful testimony, testimonial terms that I've ever heard in my entire life. That we're supposed to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And when we do the word, people see it. They see us acting out and, and obeying Jesus and or the Messiah, Messiah, Yeshua. And they see that we're dedicated to our faith. And um, and always and and with the case of Muslims, always pray that the Lord shows them a dream or vision because that's brought more Muslims into faith with Yeshua than anything else. Um, that and, and seeing the actions of their jihadist um, uh, people that supposedly represent their religion, um, they, they see that and they're disgusted and they want something different. So um, anyway, I'm going to I got to end this show because I got to get to bed. But um, we've been on for two hours and six minutes. Um, I will upload this show later on today um, in a cleaned up form with all the levels being equal. But um, I just wanted to give you a few ideas about why your Jewish friends don't accept Jesus and um, and give you offer you some ideas to where you can talk to them and um, and, and think about them. And instead of thinking about um, uh, one more soul that you're bringing into heaven, because that's a selfish motive. But um, just think about them and that. Uh, 
um, and realize that uh, once they make that decision, that it's probably going to turn their entire family against them. So there's a lot to lose. Um, and that, that's in the back of their mind all the time, too, because Jewish families are very tight. Um, they love one another. And, and the thought of being um, cast to castigated, I think is the word I'm looking for. Uh, from from your own people and your own family, it's very hard to to uh, to take, and too much for some people. So, anyway, um, that having been said, I'm going to end the show. Uh, be blessed. Have a good weekend, rest of the weekend, weekend, and we'll be back on uh, Monday. Um, either just us, or I'm going to, like I said, I've I'm going to talk to Gordy Tong about being on, and also uh, Russ Tanner has accepted my RR invitation to come back on and get into more depth about chemtrails and about the effects of the um, the things that they release from the chemtrails. And Laura will be with him to talk more in depth about um, some of the remedies, I call it remedies, um, that we can use to purge some of those things out of our bodies. And I've been taking some of them, and they seem to be working. So um, anyway... Um, the Lord bless you. Yahweh bless you. And uh, until we speak again, good night.